today, traditional body language isn't enough. We need a new skill called digital body language. And much like my childhood, where I was an immigrant to those body language rules, today we are all immigrants to the new world of digital body language. You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Christopher Voss. Body language and tone of voice, not words, are our most powerful assessment tools. Our guest today, Erica Dewan, is an expert on teamwork and collaboration in the digital age, even body language. She's an award-winning keynote speaker and was named the Oprah of Management Thinkers by Thinkers 50. She's also the publisher of two books, Get Big Things Done, and her latest Digital Body Language, which will publish by the time you hear this episode. Erica has degrees from Harvard, MIT, and Wharton, and has spoken at the Davos World Economic Forum, TEDx, and companies as big as Coca-Cola, FedEx, and Goldman Sachs. Erica, welcome. It's great to have you on the Elevate podcast. It's great to be here, Bob. All right. So I like to start at the beginning. And I've heard you reference your childhood and growing up in Pittsburgh as having a particular impact on your career. So how would you describe that, how that experience shaped you? I grew up as a shy and introverted girl in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My parents were Indian immigrants. So at home, we spoke Hindi. And at school, I often had accented English. And for much of my life, I really struggled to find my voice. In every report card from kindergarten through 12th grade, I often got straight A's, but every teacher had the same feedback. I wish Erica spoke up more in class. And in between my broken Hindi and accented English, one of the things that I often developed a knack for was deciphering other people's body language. I remember watching Bollywood movies where people were speaking Hindi and not quite knowing exactly what they were saying, but studying the actors and actresses and knowing what exactly they meant. And then I remember being in school and trying to fit in and struggling and noticing things like how the popular girls often had their shoulders back, their heads raised, and some of those older kids were slouching in school assemblies. And what I really learned from that is how important our body language is to build trust, connection. It allowed me in my career to then develop confidence and get ridiculously competitive job opportunities and roles. But what I realized about three or four years ago is that today, traditional body language isn't enough. We need a new skill called digital body language. And much like my childhood, where I was an immigrant to those body language rules, today we are all immigrants to the new world of digital body language. So did you take the things that you were seeing in others in terms of body language and emulate the ones that projected confidence and try to avoid the other ones? Like, Were you very conscious then of what you were projecting to get to sort of put on a certain image or maybe give yourself confidence? I'll never forget certain moments throughout my career where I learned that it is not just what I say, but how I say it that either leads others to feel connected or disconnected from me. Whether it was during a presentation in ninth grade where I had to present to a large group of board members at my high school and my teacher afterwards said, you slouch too much. Slouching makes you look not as confident. Never again did I slouch the same way, and I began to really sit up straight. Another example, 
the first year into my first job, when I was 22 years old at an investment bank, one of my bosses said, you know what? On phone calls, you tend to uptalk. You end your sentences with a question. I quickly realized that that was signaling a lack of confidence with my clients, and I was able to fix it pretty quickly. A uh, third one I, I always will remember is someone said, you know what? You have a dead fish handshake. You need to firm up your handshake. And again, I think these are just some examples of the importance of traditional body language to signal confidence and trust. I do believe that it's important to be authentic. But at the end of the day, traditional body language in our face-to-face world does signal who gets trusted, who gets credit, and who gets heard in our marketplace. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I know there's been historically a little bit different cultures with men and women around handshaking, but the dead fish thing is always one that someone pointed out. It just always is kind of a, oh, like <laughs> there is something about that that projects a, a lack of confidence. Absolutely. And I think that in many ways, uh, we have learned these norms for many years, whether it's through books or on the job feedback or teachers in high school, like in my case. Today, though, we have to learn a whole new set of rules because what was implicit in traditional body language now has to be explicit in digital body language. Yeah, we'll get into the book. Uh, and it's, it's really interesting in the Zoom world. Um, we'll dive into that a little deeper. I want to just a few more questions. What? Uh, so your first, I think your first professional experience was at Lehman Brothers in banking. Is that right? Very close to the, the end of Lehman Brothers. Um, were, were you there when it actually came apart? I started my career after an undergraduate at, at Wharton on the trading floor at Lehman Brothers in the heat of the boom in the mid two thousand or you know tens of two thousands about two thousand five two thousand six and I was on the trading floor when we went bankrupt on September fifteenth uh, two thousand eight and I'll never forget that moment because what it really taught me was that it's not about what teams do, it's about how teams work that either leads to greatness or destruction. And I truly believe that, and and Bob, you're a great role model of this, but culture is everything. And there are moments in that experience that really taught me that if we are not listening to everyone's voices, if we are not creating ways for people to speak up about red flags, then you know unprecedented crises can happen. And we saw the bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers really ripple the world and lead us into that recession. Yeah, I heard an interview with Michael Lewis last year. And it's really interesting. I'm curious, you know, talking about Liar's Poker and you know, just definitely one of the best books I've ever read. And it was it was Lehman in the 80s, was it 80s or 90s? Yeah. Yeah. And his sort of disbelief that he had written this book that was meant to show like how horrible this culture was and toxic and masculine. And instead of like turning people off, it actually became like a rallying call for more people wanting to get in banking. And I guess what, what we learned in the 2000s and, and, and he was sort of reflecting on like how so little had changed. And he was just so surprised. Like he, he thought that was gonna be more of a wake up call and not an anthem book for the industry. I think it's it's very interesting to think about that story. And, you know, in some ways, I have been working a lot with investment banks right now. And I, I think that that's true in a world where the power of the banker was so much about being in the room and being able to connect face to face and make a lot of money that way. But I, I would say and I would argue in the last year, 
the banking industry has had its own reckoning and has had its own disruption about not being able to be face to face and make millions of dollars closing those deals in the room or at you know at those evening dinners like we're featured in Liar's Poker. And so what I'm excited about uh, around that is that I think our digital shift is unlocking ways for us to force more innovation and ideally better cultures, not only in banking, but in every industry. Yeah, Jamie Dimon said yesterday, I don't know if you saw this, but he pretty much said that he, he sees fintech and a lot of these startups as kind of an existential threat to banking. I think that they are an, an existential threat to banking, and it's great for him to <laughs> recognize that. I think it's easy for a CEO to say it. It's about what will they really do? Will they acquire them? Will they partner with them? Will they collaborate uh, so that they can stay competitive? I, you know, Klaus Schwab at the World Economic of Davos uh, said that it's not the big fish that eats the small fish anymore. It's the fast fish that eats the slow fish. And I truly believe in that statement. This is the moment to speed up innovation instead of assuming that the customers and clients will be waiting for you afterwards. So you're there, Lehman collapses, you've got to decide what to do next. How did you transition from investment banking into leadership consulting? That is not a, say that's not a normal career progression. And, and how did you even get yourself like learned up or, or in like, yeah, what did that look like? It was not planned <laughs> at all. And it, it was very much unexpected in some ways. But I think after working through the Lehman Brothers crash, I went on my own soul-searching journey around what I wanted my career to look like. And what I really realized was that I was very passionate about not, again, what, what I was doing, but how we were building cultures that would enable everyone to thrive. I ended up going back uh, to graduate school at Harvard and MIT, stayed on at the Harvard Center for Public Leadership. And while most of my you know, investment banker friends were back at their big firms, I decided to take a risk. And I uh, stayed on as a researcher at the Center for Public Leadership, ran a study back in 2011 that looked at what allowed certain teams and leaders to get big things done across organizations and what were those behaviors that weren't allowing them to create those breakthroughs. And what I realized that it wasn't just about cross generations or millennials. It wasn't just about technology. It was really about a new connected mindset here to stay that I call connectional intelligence. So if you think about what emotional intelligence was in the 90s, today, we need to not only be able to rely on emotional intelligence in a world where body language is limited, uh, you know, in a virtual setting where we can't always be in a room with one another, uh, but really we have to be able to connect across distances, cultures, silos in new ways. And my first book uh, was published after I, I spent years studying connectional intelligence. And it led me on an entirely new path, helping CEOs and leaders build cultures of true collaboration so that they can innovate faster and further. And, and who was the leader or leadership thinker that really influenced you the most as you were kind of going on that journey? There are so many uh, leadership thinkers that I admire. One of them that really comes to mind and I would argue is not uh, you know, really well known in the marketing space and doesn't have best-selling books out there, but I think is the true teacher for me of what really leadership really means is a man named Marshall Gans. He is a professor at Harvard Kennedy School, and uh, he is one of the leading experts on community organizing. 
Uh, he advised the Obama campaign back in the 08 campaign and um, has worked as an activist himself for 40 years. Hmm. One of the things he taught me is that leadership is about enabling others to achieve a shared purpose in the face of uncertainty. And I think that definition is truly unique in my view, uh, really being able to enable others to achieve a shared purpose. He also taught me that community is not about what you create, it's how you facilitate. And the job of leaders is not necessarily to have the answers, but to create a space so that people can speak up in a way to get to the best answer. And there are a lot of other experts that I won't name today because uh, you know, luckily there are people like you, Bob, and that you featured on your podcast, but I think he's someone that's not as well known, but is, is truly one of the top minds that changed my life. All right. Well, we'll put a link to his uh, work in the show notes for sure. So this brings us to your new book, Digital Body Language, um, and at, which I think is a little bit of a counterintuitive idea for many people. It's interesting. I, you and I talked about this, I think, a few weeks ago, right? Timing is everything. I know you've been working on this for a while, and I, you were, it was hard you know, for people to understand. And then, boom, there's a pandemic, and we're all virtual. And, and, and something it's very, very relevant. So it's good to be smart, but timing is important, too. So can you, like, at a high level, can you just define for us what that term means in the context of your book? Digital body language are the cues and signals we send in our digital communication that make up the subtext of our messages, everything from our response times to our use of punctuation to the choice of medium. Did we email? Did we Slack? Did we send a video call to our own Zoom body language uh, to whether we use emojis? Or I was just going to say, how could you not say emojis? <laughs> I, have a, I have a whole punctuation and emoji guide in my book. Yeah. Don't worry. I decode the rules. And I think that, you know, I... I had been coaching and consulting with leaders at, you know, Fortune 50 multi-billion dollar companies to sports teams to startups. And one of the things I found a few years ago was that I kept getting the same questions. How do we connect across different ages and working styles? Why is there so much misunderstanding at work right now? And what I realized was that there was well before the pandemic, back in 2016, there was no playbook for how we communicated from afar, across distances, in a digital format, when we couldn't rely on traditional body language, which makes up roughly 75% of normal communication. And, and so I set on a journey uh, back in 2016 to write this book, Digital Body Language. And when I first started pitching it to publishers, uh, you know, I got a lot of rejections. I had to rewrite the proposal probably three times. <laughs> Uh, because, you know, many people said, we don't need a digital communications book. But what I did see was that the leadership skills, not only of tomorrow, but really today, because the future of work is here, is being able to connect with people no matter the distance, whether they're in the room with you, whether half the team is on a Zoom screen, whether we're running a geographically dispersed workforce, uh, or whether, you know, we're on phone calls and emails, uh, you name it. And what I was able to do over the last four years is really decode an understanding of what are all the digital body language signals we send, even if we don't intend to, how do we reduce that level of misunderstanding, anxiety, and paranoia, and how can we create a set of collectively understood laws similar to the five love languages or crucial conversations for a digital context? And that's what the book is all about. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? 
Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify enabled sites is that they already know who I am and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info the ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. Yeah. And so something you said, which I want to be really clear, was a misperception of mine initially. This isn't about how to communicate physically over, you know, video. It is sort of your multimedia, how you communicate across all digital channels, including when there is no physical or verbal, right? It's even written too. I'll give you an example of poor digital body language. Uh, One of my clients sent a email to his boss, Tom, that said, do you want to speak Wednesday or Thursday? And Tom's response was yes. (laughs) And I love to share that story because digital body, good digital body language is about understanding that reading messages carefully is the new listening. Writing clearly is the new empathy. And sometimes that phone or video call is worth a thousand emails. So it is not just about video skills. Although I do share some great best practices about how to show up well in video. It's about how you make others feel in a modern marketplace. Right. And so what are, what are some of the things that you, if you're going across the modes, like what are, what are some of the things that you should do or not do? Like, do you have some rules around like never do X via email or it's better to do this via email versus video? Like, can you help people think across the available modes to them of, you know, two-way video, a phone call, email? I think part of the, the thing for now people is, again, if you're in an office, just walk over and talk to someone, right? Now you have potentially <laughs> multiple, or I guess chats and other, you have multiple ways to communicate. And I guess, depending on the issue, there are, there are probably ones that are more effective and less effective. 
let me give you some examples based on the channel because there are very much certain norms or good practices, but they do differ, as you said, Bob, across different channels. Let's start with email or any type of written communication. It could be email or it could be a Slack-based culture or texting, IMing. A couple of rules to make sure you follow to have good digital body language. The first one is never confuse a brief message with a clear message. Uh, don't take shortcuts. We do have a pressure to, to speed up our communications, but the Tom story I just shared simply shows that when you do that, you create a lot more confusion and anxiety for others, especially if you're a leader. And we've seen sometimes some of the most senior leaders are the most sloppy in their written communications and not as clear as they could be. A second tip for written communication is to hold your horses. Now, what I mean here is that less haste equals more speed. When you are communicating with others or asking others for feedback, make sure you are not just rewarding the fastest person to respond or the quickest person to share, but the most thoughtful ideas. Uh, when three people say yes in a group email chain, it's much harder for the fourth person to say no. One of my clients had a simple practice where at the end of a Monday morning meeting, she said, if you have an idea, I want you to send it to me on Friday. And she forced her team members to actually think for four days instead of certain people just rushing to share, usually extroverts and then the introverts often having a great idea, but it wouldn't get to the team. And there is a recency bias versus uh, related to who we listen to first. And, you know, I think the, the last one that I recommend when it comes to digital body language skills in email is to understand and be thoughtful of your tone, especially with the use of punctuation and other symbols. For example, a recent study showed that if you put a period at the end of an okay or something like that in a text message, about 50% of Americans will think that you're angry or being passive aggressive. The other 50 will just think you're using good grammar. And a lot of this does skew generationally because Gen Z and younger millennials, especially, have created some norms around what punctuation really means. Well, and not using words and sentences, yeah. right? So, yeah, whether it's, uh, you know, emojis or the new facial expressions, uh, you know, and, and I think that we have to understand that and assume good intent. And if we don't understand something, ask for clarity. So, those are a couple of quick tips for email. Would you like me to share some for video? Yeah. And let me, let me just share one that you made me think of that I've learned the hard way. I don't know if you have this experience or you can steal it and add it to your repertoire. I have found that over email, when you ask a group for feedback or to edit something, no one responds <laughs> because yeah. everyone assumes everyone else does. We've gotten very specific at a company to say, look, I need a feedback on this document. Uh, Erica, can you review it first, then send to Mark? And then Mark, will you send it to me with your edits? Or the more people you ask, the less response you get because everyone assumes everyone else is going to respond to it. That's just, that's one I've noticed, particularly in the last year. I think that it's a brilliant example. I, I'm a big believer in death to reply all without clarity. Yeah. Uh, you know, are we sending multiple reply alls where no one knows what to do with it? Even, even sending an email that just says, FYI, does your team really know what that means? Are they supposed to read it? Are they supposed to take action on it? Having some clear norms, even just if you're on the two line, you need to respond. If you're on the CC line, you need right. to just read it. As you said, Bob, clarifying, uh, you know, who should review it first and by when, who needs to review it second and by when. One of my clients has a process where she has email templates now with a who, what, when, so that people don't have to create all these nice emails yeah. where they feel like they have to be polite to request things. It's a format and it's just a standard and the way to go. 
And I'm also guessing the rude comment followed by wink emoji is also not a, that's like a, a bleep sandwich uh, in email. I, I see that a lot. People try to soften something they said that's kind of rude with a with an emoji. Technology does create mass. And chapter two of digital body language is all about digital power plays and how you deal with them. Because let's be honest, we've all been there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think my big rule of thumb is just don't get emotionally hijacked. Don't rush to respond with anger back. You know, take that pause, whether it's overnight or a few hours and respond with clarity. Ask, ask for clarity. And sometimes we don't know if someone was on the verge of tears when we sent them an email or they just lost a big deal. And I think if we can just assume good intent, we can go a long way. In 2017, entrepreneur John Rampton was frustrated with the available calendar tools, which led him to create calendar.com. Calendar.com allows all of your different calendars to come together in one place. It also has some great features that solve many of the common frustration of team calendars. Smart links with notifications ensure you never need to worry about double booking or no-shows. The Find a Time feature compares everyone's schedules at once, finding the optimum time to meet. No more emailing back and forth trying to find out when everyone is free. And you also get analytics that will give you reports that show how you and your team are spending your time, allowing you to be more efficient. If you're looking to make yourself or your team more efficient this year, head over to Calendar.com now to start your 30-day free trial and see the difference for yourself. That's C-A-L-E-N-D-A-R dot com. All right, so video you're about to dive into next. Couple things on video I think that are really important and that we've innovated around in just the last year. And I'm excited my book is coming out now because I've gotten a year of studies of, of video communication in a very different way than in previous years. So the first one that I, I recommend, especially if you're a meeting host, is to think about your video meeting almost instead of as an office meeting host, but as a TV show host. TV show hosts are great because they've always had to think about how to connect on a screen from afar and how to bring in individuals from different segments. They script carefully so that it's very authentic and natural. So if you're a meeting host, your, the quality of your video meeting does not start at the start of the meeting. It starts in the meeting calendar invitation. Did you have a good meeting title? Did you have an agenda? Did you let everyone know you want them all on video or not? Uh, these simple cues were implicit in traditional body language. Now you have to make them explicit in digital body language. Another quick tip, when you get on that call, ideally, if you want to engage different members of your team or uh, or people that you're meeting to share, actually have different individuals lead different parts of the meeting. Uh, you don't have to hold it all yourself and use different ways to infuse other individuals to shift the bias that we have of listening to the host or the same three people that often share. A third quick tip is actually actively use the virtual chat tool. We all have grown fond of whether it's Zoom chat or Microsoft Teams chat or, or other tools. One of the most powerful things that these tools can do is avoiding turn-taking. It and often allows your introverts to share more because introverts are more likely to think better in writing than in speaking. And they were already struggling to get airtime in the office. Yeah. So this is a great way, whether it's virtual whiteboards or chat. And then last but not least, a couple more specific things about just your video presence. 
uh, when you are presenting or sharing. If you are presenting to a group that you've never presented to before and you're trying or you're trying to build presence with, try to actually look into the camera. There was a study that showed that roughly when we're face to face, 30 to 60% of the time, we look into each other's eyes and make eye contact. We can't do that perfectly on the screen. But if you're presenting, try to make eye contact into the camera about 60% of the time. Even though you don't feel as connected, others will feel a connection to you. And then make sure you're regularly using your own body language to share cues. Make sure you share your hand gestures uh, and nod uh, or actively show that you are listening. These simple things may seem a little trivial, especially in the world of screen freezes, but they can still go a long way to make others feel you are empathetic to them. And, and you know, one thing that I we haven't talked about this, and I remember reading years ago, is just the ability to actually read actual body language. Because of all the technology stuff, I'm going to butcher this, but there was some study years ago where they started showing like face cards to like teenagers of like concern and sarcasm or whatever, and they couldn't actually discern those reactions, those facial reactions in people like we're almost, we're we're losing sort of like a primal, you know, ability, Uh, you know, how much of that have you seen or, or just again, what we, we used to have, which is like, I can see, I have the ability, emotional intelligence to understand that like, you're not happy when you're talking to me. (laughs) And in a case where I can even see you on video. I'll never forget pre-pandemic, I was advising a sales division at a Fortune 500. And one of the sales reps said to me, uh, she was a Gen Xer, and she said her youngest sales rep who had you know just entered the workforce, grew up as a digital native, he kept missing all the body language cues of yeah. the clients and sales conversations. He uh, would constantly look down multiple times, not making eye contact with with the prospect. He would look down at his phone. He would miss the lean in when the client was showing potential interest. And uh, she said, we need to relearn these skills. Even, um, you know, my own perspective, I had an intern who I asked to take calls for me and take messages. And one time she took a message and said, oh, Bob called. And I said, okay, Bob from Idaho, from that client, Bob from Minnesota. And she didn't take the details of the message because she didn't grow up with a landline. She wasn't used to taking messages in this way. And so just like many, I I would call them our digital adapters, those that grew up with a very face-to-face, read the room culture, have to learn digital body language. I I think that there is a generation rising that will also have to relearn new skills and traditional body language at the same time. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical. 
to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And, you know, one of the things you mentioned before, and it's particularly relevant for sales is, you know, we're talking about the tactics, but what at a higher level, like, how do you build rapport with someone that you can't sit down and have dinner with and have that sort of emotional connection? Like, what are, what are some of the key tactics around just general relationship and rapport building? I have a couple tips for those trying to build rapport, whether they're you know, pitching or they're just trying to build their network in, in any way from afar. So the first one is actually very specific to individuals that are selling a product or service and having to do it on, on Zoom or conference calls, which of course was not preferred for them, but it's the way it is right now. And we all know that hybrid uh, selling is, is here to stay. One of the things uh, that has been very helpful that I've implemented with my clients is when they do a pitch or, a, you know, they're having a prospect conversation, they have a Zoom call. And what they do is they Zoom in for five minutes an existing loyal client to speak for five minutes to a prospect about the quality of that individual's product or service. And then that existing client zooms out and continues the conversation. Now, let's be honest, this was not happening in the normal coffee chat sales conversations in the past. But the power of video calls is we can be less geographically biased and bring in other stakeholders to enable us to be more uh, fluid and build trust using credibility from others. That's just one example that I think can be very helpful in building rapport. Another thing that I really recommend is to think more thoughtfully about how you build rapport before the meeting, during the meeting, and after the meeting. So I, I really recommend, you know, before the meeting to think more thoughtfully about what information do you send in advance to build credibility and trust well before the meeting. Do you have short TED Talk-like videos about your service or offering? Do you uh, have a, a quick summary and in a very clean, beautiful way, I, I believe email is visual, that yeah. will allow that person to know why they're on the call, why they're about valued and how they can participate. I like to say, even just in the calendar invite, the meeting title is the new first impression. And then after the call, I like to say a quick meeting recap email that is within 30 minutes of the meeting is like the new virtual handshake. It seals the deal. It solidifies the, the connection. And it also makes sure you're on the same page. We've all been in those Zoom meetings where we're talking about something that we discussed in the last meeting because people weren't really on the same page. And simple cues like this and using varied mediums before and after can go a long way in building that rapport. Yeah. So it almost sounds like you want some psychological priming with your personal brand where, where you know, the person before you even get on call, them under, it's important for them to understand who you are, what it's about, like what can they do to sort of get themselves already in the mindset of who you are and what you represent? Absolutely. Even simple things like being thoughtful of your digital persona. Right. A lot of people Google other individuals they haven't met before they meet with them. And what is your Google profile? What is your LinkedIn profile? Is right. it is your picture a sunset or is it a quality photo that represents you? We were, you know, even talking, Bob, between you and I about our Zoom profile pictures and how to make sure they're a little updated. And we, we may think these things are a little trivial, but they're actually huge factors in signaling and creating connection before meetings. 
Yeah. People forget this stuff. Like, what are you putting where? Like, you know, incendiary political stuff, you know, on Facebook and your profile is open versus it's stuff you're saying to your friends or, 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 you know, it's on LinkedIn. You know, someone may come into that conversation having done some research with you and they are negatively primed, you know, for you. And and then that's a a tough uphill to climb. So I, I, to me, it's uh, everything you put out there needs to pass that newspaper test of like, <laughs> if the whole world read this, would this cause me or my company any problems? And look, it's a free country to say and feel we want, but there are repercussions to doing that, particularly if you're in an organization and you're trying to sell something and you are projecting a value set out there that, that really strikes a lot of people the wrong way who could be buyers. Absolutely. If th- this is the moment if you haven't taken time to really upgrade your digital body language, this is the moment to do it. It is it is a leadership skill that will be required not only while we're working remotely, but as we go back to hybrid workplaces, we need to be able to connect with who's in the room, who's on the screens, and uh, with anyone anywhere. Yeah. So how can, you alluded to this, but how do leaders uh, teach and reinforce the the value of digital body language? Leaders can do a few things to teach and reinforce good digital body language. Uh, The first thing is role modeling it themselves. And I'll be honest, and in my book, I talk about how senior leaders have been some of the biggest culprits because they grew up often with assistants right next to them, handling all their calls. CEOs are used to scripted town halls with scripts. And if you get on a Zoom and just read a script, uh, people will not feel engaged in the same way. And and so starting uh, yourself as a leader, role modeling, clear communication, confident engagement, valuing others visibly, not just saying, you know, thanks THX, but being thoughtful of recognizing others for hard work done goes a long way in creating that trickle down culture. The second thing that leaders can do is create good digital body language norms in their own organizations. In my book, I have a digital body language uh, style quiz that will allow you to assess yourself, but also the different styles of those on your team. And this can go a long way to help you define a set of norms or best practices to really make sure that you're being inclusive of individuals versus just adapting to the digital formats that you prefer. Uh, And so the simple step of creating good digital body language cultures and norms is something that was not, I think, on the list for CEOs three, four, five years ago, but is critical to success today. And then I think the last thing that is critical is to get feedback from your own teams. I recently ran a study that showed that the average office worker is wasting four hours a week on poor, unclear, and confusing Hmm. digital communication. And the highest anxiety levels were not only employees, but also managers, mid-level managers that are stretched too thin, that are managing up and down. And senior bosses don't actually know how much pain it is to take an idea and actually implement it in a group Slack culture or in an email culture. And so taking that time to really understand what's going on at all levels of your organization, ask for bad news and ask for feedback on how to improve. And we all know innovation is from anywhere. uh, And some of your best ideas will come from places you've never expected it. That's uh, very good advice. And I think, yeah, it's so easy to communicate sometimes. And you alluded to this before that I think we, you know, we send some vague thing, which then stresses out someone and then they get on the like if you just take a little more time up front to clarify uh, it, it saves a lot of confusion back and forth 
Well, uh, Erica, what's a last question? And this can be singular or repeated, but what's a personal or professional mistake that you've made that you've learned the most from? I've made a lot of mistakes, uh, too many to to, uh, go through today. But if I'm going to choose just one mistake in my life, I think it wasn't saying thank you enough. That's it. It wasn't saying thank you enough. Uh, There were times in my career that I think I was moving very fast and I didn't take the moment to appreciate those around me that had helped me get there, had, you know, rooted for me all along. And one of the things I've actively done since the pandemic is just like write thank you notes, handwritten notes, uh, you know, email notes if I want to get it out quickly Uh, and not just saying thanks. You know, I feel like the thanks email is like an acknowledgement of an email, but you know how much I appreciated them for something that they did for me. And I believe that that thank you note isn't just for them. It's for me to take a moment to reflect on where I was and where I've come. And I think that all of us taking that extra step to be thankful and show that radical recognition is a simple way to practice good digital body language in today's world. All right, Erica, where can people learn more about you and your work? Well, the most exciting thing that all of you can do is buy my new book, Digital Body Language, available everywhere on Audible, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you name it. And, uh, you know, if you want to learn more about me, you can find me on my website, ericadewan.com. I also have a free digital body language quiz you can download on my site and a bunch of free tools that you can get if you buy, after you buy my book and go to ericadewan.com slash digital body language. I also want to give a plug. I'm really excited, Bob, for your book coming out, How to Thrive in a Virtual Workplace, and look forward to many continued conversations with you as a pioneer of remote work. Well, thank you. And thank you for uh, coming by today and sharing your story with us. Uh, I, I know your work is going to help a lot of people who are, who are struggling in this new world of digital communication. Thank you so much. All right, to our listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to Erica and her new book, Digital Body Languages, on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. Thank you again for your support. And until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. 
As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.